So I'd like to uh, start the message today with two scripture readings uh, from your favorite book. I know it's everyone's favorite book, Leviticus. And I know what you're thinking. How did he know my favorite book was Leviticus? I learned it in seminary. Uh, Leviticus 24, 17. If a man takes the life of another, of, of another human being, he shall surely be put to death. The one who takes the life of an animal will make it good, life for life. If a man injured his neighbor just as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as he injured a man, so it shall be inflicted on him. Thus the one who kills an animal shall make it good, but the one who kills a man shall be put to death. There shall be one standard for you. It shall be the stranger for the stranger as well as the native, for I am the Lord your God. This is the principle of lex talionis, which is Latin for the law of retaliation, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's scripture reading number one. Leviticus 19, verse 17 says, Don't hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you won't share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So I admit, reading from Leviticus is probably one of the worst ways to start a talk uh, to ensure that people are engaged from the very beginning. But why? Why do it then, Ben? It's because we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus keeps saying, you've heard that it was said. You've heard that it was said. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago. And we're going to see that again today, but that references an understanding of Hebrew law, an understanding of Jewish culture that, frankly, we really haven't heard that it was said in the ways that they've heard originally in the first century. They heard that it was said. We haven't heard it in the same way. So these two passages that we read are, are the building blocks for, for what Jesus is talking about. They built their life and their culture their understanding, based on their understanding of this, these passages and like it, those like it. So, so these passages are foundational to understanding what Jesus is talking about today. And, and here's our text for today. Matthew 5, beginning in 38, going through the end of the chapter. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If this section doesn't make you squirm a little bit, doesn't intimidate you, chances are you kind of zoned out and didn't. Maybe I lost you at Leviticus, <laughs> right? 
This is incredibly challenging for every person in this room. And you don't have to understand Leviticus to realize this teaching is countercultural, counterintuitive to all of us. And I want to acknowledge before we start unpacking this scripture that there's different interpretations of it. Um, there's, there's Christians who believe in pacifism and I have respect for them. Uh, and I don't have time to unpack all the positions today. Um, but, uh, you know, you can disagree with me if you'd like, but I only have time to set forth one understanding clearly. So l- let's look at this under- let's 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 look at this text in its original context. Jesus quoting from Leviticus and two other places in the Old Testament where it says eye for eye and tooth for tooth. That's what you've heard. It was said. D.A. Carson notes about lex talionis, this law of retaliation, that it was an excellent tool for eliminating tribal warfare. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't want you to poke my eye out, so I'm not going to poke your eye out. Uh, but it was meant to be discharged. It was meant to be executed in the court of law. And what was happening in Jesus' day was people, were, they were taking justice into their own hands. So taking justice out of the courts and onto the streets. Does that make sense? So what Jesus is saying is, he's clarifying, you, you misunderstood the lawgiver's original intent. And, th- and that's what they've done all throughout Matthew chapter 5 when he said, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. You've heard that it was said, but I tell you. And he does this today with this retaliation law by making a big kind of eye-opening statement, which is, I tell you, don't resist an evil person. That's, that's what Jesus says. That's his clarification to the law. That's, he, he's clarifying the lawgiver's actual intent. And then he gives three examples. Well, what, what would it look like to not resist an evil person? Well, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Meaning, we don't immediately strike back. We don't immediately seek to execute justice ourselves. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So the first, the first one, like if they try to sue you and take your inner garment, it's like your undershirt, then you'd let them have your, your overshirt, which back in that day was much more expensive. They'd also use it as a pillow. Like it, it was a more valuable garment. And so rather than just, you know, going to court and fighting over the smaller one, Jesus is calling us to not resist this evil person in in a way that we seek to bless them by giving them the more valuable garment. It's it's shocking. It's counterintuitive. And then in verse 41, he says, if someone forces you to go one mile, like Roman soldiers by law could say, pick up my bag. You have to go a Roman mile with my bag because I said so. Well, Jesus is challenging. Oh, and by the way, if you say no, I'll break your kneecaps. That's what they did. These guys were ruthless. They were jerks, right? And if someone's suing you for your, under, your, your undershirt, they might be a jerk too. If someone strikes you in the face, you might want to call them a jerk. Keep that on the back burner. We'll get there soon. But Jesus, after giving these three examples, he gives a summary statement. He says, give to the one who asks you and don't turn away 
from the one who wants to borrow from you. And I've, I have a friend, actually, who I met shortly after college who said, because of this verse, every time I get something in the mail from someone who's asking for money, I, I feel a moral obligation to give something a little bit. And I, don't, I, I think that's commendable in a sense, but I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Uh, I think he's tying it into the law of retaliation still. So rather than Jesus just saying, don't pay them back, rather than just waiting for justice to be executed appropriately, I think what Jesus is getting at is, um, well, let, sorry, let, let's, I, I'm going to keep you in suspense a little bit. <laughs> Jesus is not saying that we have to be a doormat. He's not saying we have to let people walk all over us. He is saying to have such compassion on them that we legitimately want to do what's best for them, which does not always mean saying yes. So if someone gets your, if, if you get someone's piece of mail and they're asking you for money, I don't think it, Jesus is expecting us to always say yes. He is inviting us into a kind of life, a kind of heart attitude a, heart, a posture of the heart where, where we ask, God, I really want what's best for this person. I want to see this request as a way to thoughtfully consider what's, what's best. What's the best way to meet this need, meet this want? If we honestly believe that it's really good, then we would give them something. But it, it doesn't mean we always have to give them something. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, if a man won't work, neither let him eat. And this is not, just like the red Volvo, <laughs> this is not in contradiction. If a man doesn't work, don't let him eat. And then Jesus says, give to whoever asks you. These two things are not in contradiction to each other, but it's, it's a fulfillment and a true application of the law. If, if your kid is calling you, you can go uh, and help them. Um, but... Uh, remember the examples that Jesus gives in, in each of those examples, like being hit on the cheek, being taken to court for your undergarment, uh, being forced to go one mile. I believe he's promoting compassion rather than pursuing immediate justice. Immediate justice, taking things into our own hands. So instead of being hit back, you care so much for them that you're willing to offer your other cheek if that would help them get whatever is in them out. When you hear of the lawsuit, maybe you open your mail and you see, whoa, this guy wants to take me to court for my undershirt. Uh, and then you start praying for him and you realize, man, he must really be bad off if he's taking me to court for that. Uh, I'm able to give him like my shirt. I'll just not go to court and uh, give him my shirt instead because I have compassion on him and I'm able to do that without, you know, neglecting my family and going shirtless. Instead of carrying the bag one mile, you think, you know, I, I have kind of an open day, and this guy, he's, he's pretty miserable because he's being a jerk to me. I'll bless him and go two miles. And, and if you're struggling with, you know, just wrapping your mind around this, we need to remember that when Jesus was crucified, isn't this exactly the course of action that he took? In the moment of the greatest injustice ever. The perfect son of God being brutally executed, brutally killed. 
he had compassion rather than pursuing immediate justice. He said, Father, forgive them. So I also want to say that you can have this kind of compassion and fire someone in Christian love. You can have this kind of compassion and discipline your children firmly. My, my best summary of this posture of heart that Jesus is promoting is this. We are to be for the jerks. It's really hard to be for jerks, right? Because we're not for people acting like jerks. But we're for the good of the jerks. It's what Jesus was for the good of the jerks. And, and this section about the law of retaliation and, and responding with compassion ties in quite nicely with the next section because how are we to go about firing someone in Christian love? If we have that kind of compassion, if we're, if we're training towards that end, um, h- how do we actually do that? And I think that's exactly what Jesus addresses next. I want to remind us of what the passage says Jesus teaches, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, it's really important that we realize at this point, what Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, this is not scripture. Hate your enemy, you will find nowhere in the Old Testament. But he goes on, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, do you, do you think that's a new teaching? Just... Answer it real quick in your mind. Is that new? Okay, we'll get to that. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? I mean, don't even the tax collectors who were despised in society, don't they do that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Like all humans, they they like who they like and they treat them well. But don't pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So that question of if it's a new teaching, I, I just, I just want to show you why I think in the Old Testament, it's, it's not a new teaching. They were asking this all-important question of who's my neighbor, and they answered it. My enemy is not my neighbor. But if you look at the Old Testament, like Exodus 23, where God teaches, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey, Wandering away, you should surely return it to him. And they might have said, well, my enemy's ox or donkey isn't involved in this situation, so I have no moral obligation. Right? This, this circumstance doesn't apply. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, God shows us his heart by saying, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. And you might be thinking about your enemy and saying, well, He has plenty to eat and drink, so that doesn't apply to me. In fact, Leviticus 19, which we read at the start, says, don't hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. So my neighbor, who is my neighbor? Well, it's of my same race. It's the people closest to me. My enemy is not my neighbor, was their conclusion. And in that fashion, they justified the hatred of their enemy. I don't believe it's a new teaching. Love your enemy. I believe Jesus is setting straight the distortion 
of God's heart all along. That God's people misunderstood. They misunderstood God's heart behind the law. The law was meant to shape our hearts after God's heart. God's heart is loving toward all he has made. Psalm 145 says that. And then Jesus gives this incredible example of how God in some ways treats everybody the same. You know, he sends rain. He doesn't doesn't stop the rain on your neighbor's house because they're terrible and give you rain. He sends sun. He doesn't, he doesn't, and he could locate the clouds so particularly that you had sunshine and me right next to you had just dreary day. God could do that. And you might think, so what? So what? It's just rain and sunshine. Well, aren't those pretty important? (laughs) We are to learn from the way that God relates to all people. So Jesus attaches these issues of who's my neighbor and how do I love them with, the, with, with an illustration of how God loves, in a sense, everyone. He's made us all in his image and that makes all of us valuable. No matter how poorly we bear the image, we are valuable because of the image that we're meant to bear. And this word love, like English, in English, I can say, I love my mom, and I do. Or I could say, I love pizza, and I do love pizza. But in Greek, they were better with, this, with words <laughs> than we are. And this Greek word love, you know. You all know it, I'm sure. It's agape. So agape, your enemies. It means to choose love. It means you don't have to wake up or go to sleep feeling greatly or feeling these strong emotions about your enemy, these strong emotions of affection. It means your disposition towards them is love. And in verse 45, Jesus teaches, do this so that you may be sons of your father. This is not him teaching that we need to earn our position with God. But he's saying, do it so that you can express and enjoy the relationship that you have. And then in verse 48, he concludes famously with be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And that word perfect means complete. Move towards wholeness in your life. Maturity. So this is what we are to do if we want to become a more complete person. This is all in the context of loving our neighbor and our enemy. And it's all in the context of how do we respond when we feel like people wrong us. So if you're intrigued, if there's even a thread of interest in moving that direction with your own life, how? How do we start climbing this mountain of an intimidating teaching from Jesus? I think we should learn from the one who lived it out. Jesus didn't just teach this, he lived it. Though he had every right to retaliate, against those who wronged him, he entrusted judgment to his father. He loved those who killed him. And he rose again, which means anybody who wants to learn to live this way can learn from a living teacher, a living Lord and Savior. 
So you might think, okay, that's good theory, but what's my first step been? How can I start loving my enemy? Uh, where do I even begin? And I, I think Jesus, show, he, he, in his teaching, he gives it, pray. Pray for your enemy, or you might even call them your frenemy, because you might think enemy is a little bit of a strong term. And I, I, I try to act n- nicely with them, but uh, frenemies is, might be a helpful term for those who annoy you or pester you or make your life difficult. So we're going to do that to end the message, but I want to help you think through and identify some different enemies or frenemies in your life. Uh, how many of you, I'm just curious, drive down Kellogg uh, consistently, you know, at least once a week. Raise a hand. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, others of you who maybe aren't privileged to drive Kellogg, you drive other roads where maybe people cut you off and you're not overly impressed by their driving. There's an opportunity. What will you do? Harbor bitterness, anger, hatred, or love your enemy. Bless them who make your life difficult. Bless them. Say, God, I pray that they would not get pulled over. Keep them safe, God. I pray they'd come to know you and that they would lay their lives down for the good of other people. Maybe someone at your work is a little power hungry, right? And they like to tell other people like you what to do. Or maybe they're just lazy and they're like, oh yeah, could you do that for me? It's like, what are you doing? Nothing, but could you do that for me? And if you can, if you can do it without shirking your own responsibilities, you do it. And not to spite them, but you think, man, I I don't know what's going on, but they must really be miserable to try to pull this on me and other people. Uh, maybe you're unaware of factions or cliques because you're just so consumed with loving those who love you. You're greeting your brothers, but you're kind of unaware with like the people on the fringes of your life. Um, like, are, are you being driven into relationship by comfort? Like, oh, these people make me comfortable. I really like them. Or by mission, living with God on mission. And it might be like your spouse has just been getting on your nerves lately. That happens. Pray for them. And so I'm just going to, maybe it's none of those, but I'm going to give us some time and space right now before the worship team comes up uh, to pray for those who make our life difficult. Pray for those who uh, were tempted to take justice into our own hands. And, and as we pray, let God's view of them and your view of God inform your view of them. He is the God who sends sun and rain on the righteous and the un- unrighteous, the good and the evil. Lord, as we, we wrestle and we deal with the emotions and the complexities of moving towards obedience, uh, we thank you that while we were your enemies, 
you came and died for us.